technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... Both BT and Vodafone in the UK, they're offering second fixed lines to people's homes. You know, just kind of this 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 recognition that okay, you have filled up hey, hey. your line. Yes. Well, wait a minute, back up. I, I I thought we were killing the landline and we were going all wireless. You're oh. we're adding second phone lines into our houses. Yes, yes. Because Michael, it is never this or something else. It's never broadband or five G or Wi Fi. It's always and. You're listening to the Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth. A Nokia original series. This episode was recorded on March 276th, or so it felt. We can't wait to put 2020 behind us. But as the novel coronavirus wreaked havoc worldwide this past year, technology stepped up. Work from home meant telecom companies saw their five-year plans for bandwidth growth eclipsed in a matter of months. Companies which previously shunned a hybrid work life adopted video conferencing and other technologies. But what surprised us the most was the adoption of largely abandoned technologies like QR codes and nascent ones like augmented reality. For insight into what changed in 2020 and what to expect in 2021, I turn to Monica Paolini, the founder and principal at Senzafili, a consulting firm that provides market research, financial analysis, and advisory support on wireless data technologies. And to Nokia's head trend spotter, Leslie Shannon. Shannon believes 2020 was the year augmented reality really took off. Some of the implementations of augmented reality that had been done before COVID, um, and I'm thinking here particularly um, of some work of uh, the company Athir, um, they were working with Porsche. And in 2018, they put together a, uh, um, you know, the kind of expert looking over your shoulder and helping the person on the um, on the plant floor uh, with the expert knowledge from afar, which we see is, you know, extremely common in enterprise. And, you know, they built that in 2018. And it saved a huge amount of time. I think, you know, 40% savings on the amount of time it took to fix a car. But in the reality, people weren't actually using it that much because it's kind of a big ask to ask somebody to change the way that they um, they do things to put this thing on their head. <laughs> and, and also, importantly, to have putting it on their head and calling an expert meant that they didn't know themselves. And so there's kind of this like innate pride that had to be gotten over as well. Um, but then they found with COVID, this thing that they had built that was not getting full take up, COVID was now the thing that shifted people to, oh, now I am completely on my own. And the only way I'm actually going to be able to do this is by putting this thing on my head and calling the expert who is not here. And so usage actually um, grew by 300%. And this is indicative of, you know, we, we saw this happening all over the place with these remote training, remote access, remote experts, companies that were, um, 
where they used to send in like large numbers of teams to do things like take new water plants, uh, put new water plants online. Um, well, with uh, social distancing, they couldn't have that same number of people physically working together. So um, they, you know, uh, companies started using the similar kind of augmented reality technology to have the minimum possible people actually on hand at the site, but then connected to the rest of the team who was able to be offsite and, you know, in a safe place and, but then see what was going on and then to tell them. So, so functionally having a much larger team. And um, so, so in that enterprise space, uh, augmented reality really saw a spectacular moment this year because of the absolute yeah, necessity. If I add that, that, that I think it's really important is um, the need for it. And the, the fact that it clearly is available, that, that sort of helps. But it, it's the need and the fact that uh, not only the employees, but also management uh, um, were okay to allow people to use it. So everybody felt safe to use it, safe in the sense that it, because of the, 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 uh, the environment, it was the right thing to do. And so people could leave all their worries behind you know, because let's say you're doing, you're doing some task and it doesn't work all that well on the first day. It doesn't matter because there's nothing to lose. There's no alternative. So that gives people the ability and the freedom uh, to, to really try new things. And I think that you mentioned QR codes, but the one that I would just uh, makes me uh, think about is like video. I mean, I remember, you know, when we were starting looking at video and like, what would you do with video? You know, why would anybody upload a video, you know, a video themselves speaking? People are uncomfortable doing that. And now we just do it all the time without even thinking, without even, you know, getting ready for it. And, and so uh, this is something that, you know, COVID is really has been terrible as it is. It's been a really a huge uh, uh, learning ground. One other thing that I have to say, however, is that uh, the, the fact that you we're sort of starting to see better uh, heads, I mean, better devices, uh, the, the glass, that, that I think is going to be huge because, you know, going around with this thing is huge thing on the head just doesn't really, just makes the technology not look so cool. And so now that you have new devices that are less obtrusive, I think that's going to make a huge difference as well. It sounds like COVID gave us the opportunity to fail by experimenting with these new technologies. That's a terrific point that you made. I think you're exactly right. And we see it over in the VR world as well. Um, there's a lot of companies that have sprung up actually in this COVID moment, particularly in Europe. Companies like um, Arthur or Realm or Immersed or Meetin VR, um, which are virtual reality meeting spaces where people can come together from all kinds of different areas of the world and then and then kind of have a, you know, air quotes, physical presence together to work on things um, and to have meetings and brainstorm sessions, especially where, you know, writing things up on whiteboards or on sticky notes, um, you know, having some kind of a virtual physical group presence makes a difference, um, a concrete difference in the, the way that the meeting flows. You know, and so, but I was talking to, um, I was talking to the people who run Arthur, actually, and saying, well, you know, not that many people have virtual reality headsets at home, so surely you're limited by that hardware footprint. And they said, well, actually, out of necessity, we have had to get into the VR headset management um, thing, because uh, one of their company, one of their customers is a large, um, well-known consultancy, and they do workshops for their customers, and what they do is they make out a physical VR headset to the customers who are going to take part in this workshop um, ahead of time. And 
these people quite often have never worked in VR before, never to even touched a headset. And they're getting them in the mail and they're putting them on and then they're joining these meetings. And honestly, this would not be happening if it weren't for COVID. But, uh, uh, but what the uh, these, these VR meeting space um, people told me also is that um, a significant proportion of people after they get this VR headset sent to them at home, and then of course they have to mail it back, right? After the meeting is over, they say, is there, is it, can I keep this? <laughs> you know, can I, cause now that I've experienced this, this is really cool. So, so yeah, that, that, that necessity is the mother of invention. Necessity is the mother of trying new stuff and discovering, Oh, there is something in this. Right. So I think we're actually seeing an acceleration of VR um, as well as with augmented reality. But what do we know will stick and what won't stick? You know, the, the global AR VR market by 2030 is projected by some you know accounts to be a $1.3 trillion industry. But the vast majority of that, 90% of that is expected to be AR, not VR. How do we know what will and will not stick that we've been experimenting with through 2020? The distinction between AR and VR might actually disappear in the sense that uh, what's the difference? Yes. Yeah. I would imagine that it's going to become much more of a, um, how can I say, whole change in the way we relate to basically video content. So video content initially was you just download it. Then we learn that we can upload it too. And now it becomes really much more interactive. So the video is tied to action and to learning and to do things. And now you want to call it AR, VR or whatever, and you need a headset or not, I think that this is just going to eventually disappear and become just a different way we interact with each other online. And there's going to be a lot of variations on it. HTC, actually, the, um, the CTO of HTC, Alvin Grayling, he he speaks, speaks specifically about HTC's vision of the headset being something that, um, that does have a spectrum, a sliding scale. Sometimes your vision will be fully occluded and you will have a completely uh, artificial world that you see, and that's the kind of virtual reality. But then that same headset would then shift to allowing video pass-through so that you do see the world and then you would see the mixed reality elements integrated with that world. Um, and, and so so really, you know, looking at creating headsets that are a spectrum between augmented reality and virtual reality, and you move between them determining, you know, depending on the use case that you, whatever you're trying to accomplish at any given moment. I did once a demo where it was not just a headset, but it was a, a chair that would move and, uh, you know, you simulate uh, movement and it was so realistic. I have fear of heights, and I was just—I uh, was about to jump off the chair. <laughs> so it might have other things, not not just a headset. So it's just like a full body experience. It, you know, it clearly that's not most of the times, but you might have that as well. So then, what were the big lessons that enterprise learned as a result of accelerating the use of tech that really wasn't expected to become a thing for a few more years? The companies that I see that are that are really leaning into this, they're discovering, you know, what what we all know is true anyway. In that technology is not an end in itself; it is an enabler, and it is an enabler to help you reach your business goals. And so, so you know, this kind of this COVID moment has helped people see beyond the ooh new new shiny toy aspect of virtual reality and augmented reality, and helped people understand, oh, these are actually just tools for helping me accomplish 
something and get something done. And and now that I don't have another path to get this done, I can't go and do this physically. Um, Monica, as you pointed out, um, now I, I realize, oh, there is actually serious utility in these. They are tools and I can stop worrying about the newness factor and actually just use them to now accomplish my business goals. And I think that's the significant shift that's happened this year. This is really important. Another aspect is, which is not really technology driven, but uh, allows the technology to penetrate is the fact that uh, companies are learning to trust their employees working from home, which before was also a, a, a limitation or like patients um, in, like in, in the, in the um, healthcare, uh, the doctors are trusting that an online interaction works. So uh, not only you have to do it and it works, uh, but it also you develop a sense of trust. And that is really important to get those technologies not to be seen, you know, as I said, like this, this shiny new thing and the cool stuff, but then doesn't really need work for anything. As something that you can rely on, people can work from home and be efficient and maybe even more efficient. And that is going to change because then even if you go back to the office, you're not necessarily in the same place. So that, that I think it's going to be really important for the long-term adoption. Telecom companies had their five-year bandwidth demand plans met within months of COVID hitting. Uh, how did they handle that accelerated adoption? Well, I think <laughs> when we look at um, the, the connectivity um, kind of shock that happened back in uh, March of this year, March and April, um, it became very clear that uh, uh, everyone in the world is fine with business people suffering through bad connectivity. Um, but as soon as you talk about school children, suddenly action will be taken. <laughs> So one of the big things that we saw is shining a spotlight on places in the world where there were connectivity gaps. And many companies, uh, countries around the world at the government level and also at the individual company level really um, got going with um, uh, incentives to actually, okay, let's make sure that everybody, all the school children in this country, including in rural areas, have a decent connection. And, you know, uh, Italy did a lot of work on this. Uh, New Zealand did a lot of work on this. The United States has been uh, um, uh, mobilized with this. And so, um, so not only do companies have to uh, look at redoing their five-year plan, as you point out, Michael, but also you know, the bigger shock was, uh-oh, we left some gaps and we have to go back and we have to do some remedial backfilling, and which I think is very necessary work. And I'm actually pretty glad it's happened. Um, but that's actually where I've seen a lot of our customers focusing. You know, what, one thing that actually sort of not surprised me, but I thought it was good that the, the, the networks actually did, relative, did pretty well. So yes, there was a surge, but the new way of the ability that operators have to actually manage traffic really helped a lot in making sure that the right priorities were met. So that actually was good. And, you know, a telecom, the telecoms industry, we, we did a, a very important role in keeping things going. So I think that we should sort of pat ourselves in the back in, in that respect. But at the same time, that really called the attention of how important it is to provide connectivity to everybody. It's not a service that you get to get your kids to play games or whatever. It's really important. So the whole discussions about, you know, digital divide or making sure everybody has the right connectivity 
really grew uh, a lot and the tone changed. Mm. It's like, this is really important. And also because of that, because of the ability to work from home, a lot of people are starting to think, well, do I really need to, li to live in a city? So there is a, a trend of people thinking of moving outside the city and that is going to be very good for, you know, like a, a rural communities that will see a, in, even in further increase in, in requirements, I think, moving forward. And that, again, will make it much more of a, you know, priority to make sure that everybody is connected. So I think that, that in the terms of long term, this is going to be quite important. You mentioned that, uh, you know, our entire industry, you know, really deserves a pat on the back. And I, I um, completely agree with you there. But we also have to um, thank Netflix and YouTube because they voluntarily reduced the uh, default um, uh, uh, codec that they were using for their um, broadcasts from HD down to SD. And that is what actually, if they hadn't done that, the networks would not have survived. So there was kind of this, um, this general coming together across industries. There was a lot of altruism that we've seen, and that kind of goes to that theme of trust, Michael, that you were just talking about. Um, and you know, Microsoft—they, uh, if you were building an augmented reality application that had some kind of uh, COVID use, they actually gave you the, the use of the augmented reality for six months for free. You know, there were a lot of companies that were doing things to really open up and so that, you know, hey, we're all in this together, let's solve this problem together. Um, but at the same time, we also see opportunities in that connecting everybody kind of thing um, where companies can actually pivot just a bit and then find new business opportunities in that connecting everybody. AT&T did a partnership with Airstream um, trailers uh, so that, you know, you so the idea of like getting a trailer and like, like going out to the woods somewhere, but still having good connections so you can actually work from your trailer. Um, um, that is a really interesting uh, partnership that I enjoyed this year. And um, uh, also seeing on um, Verizon, they rejigged their 4G, which was more prevalent in um, rural areas, to actually have that become a broadband offering for people who really don't have any other opportunity, but to be able to have 4G providing at least a certain amount of broadband coverage um, in the areas where nothing else is available. So, so lots of creative rethinking about this whole theme of getting people connected um, away from uh, where they, they used to spend their time. And some fun creativity too. You know, you were talking about the educational component to this. You know, educating children under COVID nineteen required some remarkable resourcefulness, not just on the part of parents, but certainly the teachers as well. You know, even an elementary school graduation took on a decidedly high tech tone in a way that definitely appealed to the children. Right. The tech futurist Kathy Hackle. Um, she told me that uh, her uh, her child's kindergarten graduation uh, was shifted over to Minecraft, <laughs> and uh, um, and and actually one of my friends came across a wedding uh, that was happening in Australia in Animal Crossing. For me, this is one of the most exciting things about this year. Um, yes, there's the platforms that are created for online action. Um, uh, you know, the ones that are, they're really designed for that, you know, and, you know, Zoom and all these have, you know, really taken off. But it's for me, the platforms that were not designed for this 
this specific kind of thing, but people moved into them anyway, and particularly in a lot of gaming platforms. So, um, uh, you know, concerts happening in Fortnite, I mean, that was happening already, but um, people meeting and having business meetings and Red Dead Redemption and all this kind of stuff actually goes to show for me that one of the biggest messages out of this whole COVID year has been that we as human beings are ready to accept a digital presence as having equal validity with our physical presence. And, and so, okay, we can't have a physical graduation. We will have it in Minecraft and it will still count. And, and this actually opens up the whole door to us moving many things that happened in the physical world into the digital world going forward. This is the, you know, the nose of the camel coming into the tent. And it's really just the beginning of, of our, uh, you know, our, our, our digital selves um, have, taking on a, just a significance that we, that we really hadn't realized before. Where do you see that happening? I think about when you when you say that, I think about industries like the real estate industry, which are still using fax machines like it's 1993 or, or something. <laughs> what industries are ripe for that kind of disruption that COVID-19 told us was now possible when the bean counters and the corner office said, oh, no, no, we can't do that. Technology takes off when it solves a problem. And um, and so COVID has thrown problems at everybody and all industries and the ones that can actually get over the ah, fear of the new um, and then, you know, use these new approaches to solve problems are really are really going to be the ones that can leapfrog. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned real estate. Um, there's companies now that are using um, 360-degree cameras um, and particularly connected over 5G, ideally. Um, and somebody, a single person, single, walks a 360-view camera um, through a commercial real estate area to be able to do real estate inspections for somebody wearing a virtual reality headset on the other end of it to be able to tour the space and to inspect it. And the advantage of that over, say, somebody just walking around with you know, an iPhone on FaceTime is that the person who's wearing the VR, they can see everything. They're not limited by the things that the, the other person is pointing the camera towards, right? So maybe they're not showing the rat nest over back in that corner. But if it's a 360-degree camera that's being carried by somebody, the person with the VR headset really has the freedom to explore everything in the environment with no holds barred. So, you know, and that to me seems like a real opening up of um, possibilities for, for commercial real estate inspection where you can't physically be present. It's very difficult to see which which vertical is going to be, you know, more affected. I think all, all of them, in a way, equally because everybody's facing the same similar situation, which is highly unusual because usually, you know, you just have different time frames. One thing that I would like to say, though, you know, I think that, you know, healthcare and education are particularly important because there is a lot of, uh, res there has been a lot of resistance. And there is one category of people that might benefit uh, a lot in the long term, and it's people with disabilities. So um, I was sort of think, talking about to somebody about you know kids that might not be able to go to school because of disability, or they might have limited mobility or whatever. And uh, this kind of development actually is going to help them in the in, in the long term because a lot of things tools that are uh, you know very helpful for them way more than even to the other kids uh, are, are available and, and used. 
so I think that, you know, moving forward, for instance, and, and I think the question is, okay, we have all this kind of activity now, but what is going to stick in the long term or not? And if you think about, uh, uh, for instance, education, it's, it's sort of like, now that we got it out of the bag, it's like, why would never, why would a class not be also available online even afterwards? Why not? What, what's the reason not to do that? And that opens a whole uh, possibility. So for like, for instance, for disabled kids or for students that cannot live in the place where the city is. So um, there was a, like a discussion about how is that going to change, for instance, colleges, because colleges might offer the, their degrees also offline or part of the offline. How does it, is it going to change, you know, some of the, the, the distribution of them? So I think that we're going to see a lot of long-term changes, even though some people think that, you know, as soon as this thing is over, we're all going to go back and, uh, you know, work in the office and uh, go to school. I don't think so. I think that it's going to be really long-term changes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think your um, health care is extremely um, vital here and particular, but we have to look at regulations as well. Mm -hmm. And regulations are going to have to catch up with this new world. Um, for example, here in the United States, um, video you know, teleconferences with your doctor have just completely taken off. And surveys are showing that people are saying, yeah, I'm going to keep doing that after this is over. But it's in some countries, teleconferences with your doctor is not even actually possible because of local um, rules and regulations. And, um, and another example, there's a company in um, Denmark that's been doing um, VR recreations of medical labs to be able to do training um, of people to be able to do lab uh, work. And that's actually really taken off uh, again in this COVID time. But the thing is that that uh, many places in the world, if you have received your training in virtual reality as opposed to in a lab, that actually doesn't count towards you getting licensed as a lab technician. So licensing bodies need to needing to actually incorporate these more um, virtual ways of education and training um, and to accept them as um, something that is, uh, you know, Yes, we can actually license you if you only received your training in virtual reality. Um, that's the kind of advances that we're going to need to see to really be able to get the full promise um, of these changes that we're seeing now. You know, you prove that you can do it, that technology can do it. You prove that people can actually do it and be happy with it. Companies fine as well. And so the question is that in the longer term, because regulation is going to happen after COVID, probably is going to be, uh, you know, the same the same thing. So. Um, the, the question is, do, will we keep the momentum? And, and I hope we do, but uh, I think that that would be, to me, that would be the biggest question mark. Well, then let's talk about 2021, because COVID, lockdowns, restrictions, they will still be with us regardless of the rollout of vaccines that we're seeing now. What role will 5G play as these rollouts continue? Because it strikes me that 5G is infinitely more flexible than previous generations to accommodate for big spikes in demand in areas where they weren't originally planned in the first place. <laughs> my my one regret um, about this whole COVID thing, if it had to happen, if it could only have happened about two years later when we had a lot more 5G already in place, because it's undeniable that, uh, that, that 5G has the rollout of it, the physical rollout of it has actually been delayed, um, at least partially by... Um, uh, by by the you know restrictions of COVID, unfortunately, but um, but you know 
that said, it is progressing. And, you know, especially with getting more 5G consumer um, enabled devices like the iPhone, um, you know, take up is just going to keep uh, increasing. And that's actually, you know, really terrific. Um, but I think the some of the biggest promise of 5G actually comes up in a lot of mobility kinds of scenarios. So I think we're really going to see people's people's lives being changed with things that are enabled by 5G really coming on in the second half of 2021, where we have people moving outside of their house again. But that said, um, you know, while that 5G, uh, you know, swell, the, the wobble wave is building in the background, there's some really interesting things happening with just basic connectivity, both BT and Vodafone in the UK. They're offering second fixed lines to people's homes you know just kind of this 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 recognition that okay you have filled up hey, hey. your line yes well, wait a minute back up I, I i thought we were killing the landline and we were going all wireless you're talking, oh. we're adding second phone lines into our houses yes yes because michael it is never this or something else it's never broadband or 5g or wi-fi it's always and it's broadband and Wi-Fi and 5G and Wi-Fi 6 and, 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 because the things that we use, we use all of it all the time and we're going to need it all. And so why not have a second fixed line to the house right now, the, right now, this very second, I'm on the call with you. My husband's on a video call. My two kids are upstairs um, uh, uh, with their school all on video. We actually have we have completely used up our fixed broadband allotment um, every month since COVID started. We, I could certainly use a second fixed line and then give me 5G so I can actually do great stuff when I'm away from the house as well. <laughs> actually, it's, 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 a, it's a really, I think it's a really important point because for, for, for one thing is that all, a lot of the use cases that we thought about 5G that initially people thought, well, but people are not going to use like, you know, uh, 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 virtual reality, augmented reality. Now it's like, people actually using it. So in a way, this is all very good prep ground for the 5G applications that are, you know, coming up. The other thing though, is like, if you think about, uh, you know, the, the, the second line to the home, I think we need, to, the way I think about it is like, whatever device you have right now, it doesn't matter what is eventually going to happen. It's usually the access is wireless. So it's either Wi-Fi, 5G, 4G, whatever, it's wireless. But then it has to go somewhere and a lot of the, most of the traffic goes through wireline eventually. So the distinction between the two kind of ceases to exist. The devices are wireless, but not everything is wireless. So 5G, no matter how the greatest technology ever, but still, if you have all the traffic going through 5G, it would be ridiculously expensive, impossible, and never happen. You need to have the wireline as well. And it's the combination of the two that makes the whole thing powerful. So just having wireline wouldn't wouldn't be enough, but just having 5G would not be enough. So again, it's it's all of them. But what is changed in the last say 10 years is that all the access is wireless. That is a huge thing, I, I think, in terms of you know the, the development. And maybe 5G is going to be a little bit delayed, but I don't think that in the long term it's just going to be a blip in in that respect. Yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. So then let's look ahead to what you're most looking forward to out of 2021. What am I looking for? Uh, aside from actually being able to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what I'm curious to see is how much of this is going to stick. So I, I'm really curious now about the sort of longer term 
the fact that we're not going to be in a lockdown anymore, how is that going to change really? And what is going to stay around? And I think it's, it's going to be a lot, but not everything will stay around in the same way. So I'm really curious to see how is that going to progress? And because we, do, we want to be able to use what we learned from COVID, you know, moving forward. It's really important that we learn from it. You know, what I mentioned before about how 2020 is kind of the year in which we we found our digital selves um, and found that our digital selves had validity and the things that our digital people do, our digital selves do actually counts, right? And so, because I, I actually am very careful with my language. I don't talk about the real world versus the digital world. No, because the stuff that happens in the digital world is actually real as well as, so it's the physical world versus the digital world. And and both are real. And for me, one of the most exciting things that happened in 2020 was the Kentucky Derby, you know, so this American horse race that happens every May, and they had to postpone it. Um, this year. And, but NBC, the, the TV station, they had already, you know, paid a lot of rights and they had the broadcasting time. So, ah, what do we do with it? They did a digital recreation. The Kentucky Derby is the first race in the, uh, the triple crown of horse racing. Um, and all, there's 13 horses in history that have won the triple crown. So they did a digital recreation of the Kentucky Derby using the exact races that were run by the 13 horses that have won the Kentucky, uh, the, the triple crown in the history of the horse race and for the first time ever see Sir Barton who won in 1919, the first one racing against Secretariat who won in 1973, racing against American Pharaoh who won in uh, 2015, you know, and this was just completely mind blowing. You didn't have to be interested in horse racing at all to go like, oh my God, what a concept because the thing about moving things into the digital world and having it be mainstream you can do things in the digital world that you cannot do in the physical world. And this this fantasy Kentucky Derby and having that be broadcast to millions of households in the United States and people go, whoa, that is amazing. This is where I think we're going to start exploring and start seeing what are the things as we move into a digital world? What are the things that we can do there that we couldn't do in the physical world that actually make our life better, more interesting, more vibrant, more vivid, easier, more efficient? You know, name name the adjective and stick more in front of it. I'm really excited to see what we come up with next in that category. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.